We've been talking about the mission of God, and we've been looking at Acts 1.8, and how in that uh, final commission for Jesus ascended into heaven, he said that we were to go, his followers, to go to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today, we are talking about going to the ends of the earth. And in connection with this, this means we're talking about Jesus being Lord. That he is, and when we say Jesus is Lord, and when people, uh, Christ followers in Jesus' day said he is Lord, that meant Lord over all the earth. That meant Lord over all the nations. It meant that he was the maker of all. And so this is very different than what a lot of people think today when they say Jesus is Lord and they talk about a personal Savior and they say, well, it's true for me, but it may not be true for you. Uh, When Christians, when Christ followers of Jesus' day said Jesus is Lord, it was a universal claim. And so when I share with you today about mission and why we go and how God is going and and carrying out his mission throughout the world, there, there are three assumptions here that I'm, I'm basing all this on. And so I need you to know this before I start and share this with you. One, uh, the big assumption is that faith and culture are separate. And what I mean is that uh, some people think, well, um, this, your faith is just part of your culture. You know, you grew up with it. It's, uh, um, and so it's uh, kind of a, oh, I'm not doing well to explaining this. But anyway, what I'm saying here is that faith and culture are separate. They're not one. And so um, you'll maybe understand this later when I talk more. But uh, just know that faith and culture are separate. Two is that the Bible is true. That's the other big assumption as I'm sharing with you. I know some of you uh, really struggle with that. And I'd really encourage you. I encourage you to uh, go back. I don't have time to get into it today. uh, But go back to a message that was uh, preached here uh, a while ago, it's, you can find it on our website and our podcast. Uh, it's, it's in the Seek the Truth series, talking about fact or fiction. Also, if you can't do that, I encourage you to go get a book, uh, one of the more recent ones, uh, talking about the reliability of the scriptures and about uh, faith in Christ. is written by Lee Strobel. It's called A Case for Faith. Lee Strobel uh, used to be a, a writer for the Chicago Tribune and uh, was an atheist uh, after his wife came to the Lord. Uh, he began to question because he saw the change in his wife. And so he began to investigate uh, the faith and uh, very thoroughly. And he wrote about his investigation. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, the third assumption here is that the people of God are really different than from the rest of the nations and the rest of the people of this world. That there is a difference. That having faith in Jesus Christ does make a difference. That salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And so, if there is no difference between the people of God and the people of the nations and and the rest of the world, then there's no reason for mission. Um, Probably what what you'd be calling yourself would be a universalist, and that's that's another church you could go to. Um, So anyway, those are three assumptions here um, I can't get into today. But what I want to talk to you today about is something very exciting, what's happening around the world. A lot of you know what mission is, and you can even define the how and the where of mission. But really, where a lot of people struggle to understand and define is why. Why mission? Why go? Why why disturb those people 
in other countries? Why disturb those people within our own cities in the United States? Why should our church be concerned with calling people and people of other faiths to conversion, to change their allegiance to Jesus Christ, to faith in Him? The world is going to ask us why. Why are we concerned about this? The world's going to ask, why don't you just, you know, just join with all those sincere adherents of all religions in seeking the fullness of truth to which they all aspire? Why not just join with all people of goodwill in tackling the real human problems of hunger, oppression, sickness, and alienation instead of seeking more adherence for your religious group? Isn't your enterprise... Your mission, an offense against the unity of mankind? What makes you think it's religion that provides the clue to the needs of the human heart? That's what they're going to ask us. That's what they're going to say to us. We got to know the why of mission. We got to know why we do what we do and who we're doing it for. And we got to be prepared not only to answer, but also to counter-question the world. We need to ask the world, well, don't you? Don't you have your own program for rescuing the world, for tackling the problems of mankind? You have your agenda, don't you? They do. Isn't your program the illusion that if there is economic justice around the world, mankind will be united? Doesn't the world with its use of its words like justice and freedom as their slogans, generate the most murderous conflicts we've ever seen in the world? I'd say maybe it might be worth looking into what the church says is the solution. It may be a good idea to investigate how we're trying to address the world's problems. I believe in the answering of the why of mission, we've got to begin with the end in mind and look at God's blueprint for his finished picture of mankind. As spiritual leaders, our, our role is to move, and this team of our ministry team is leading this church, our role is to move people to God's agenda, not our own agenda. And so the end result in God's agenda, it isn't churches all over the world. In fact, in the final picture, there is no church. There's no temple. There's just the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, every tribe, and every people, and every language, worshiping God and the Lamb, which is Jesus, upon the throne. Now, if this is a snapshot of God's conclusion to His agenda for the world, then our church needs to be moving people towards that end result. And we need to be moving into involvement with God's heart for every tribe, every nation to be gathered around His throne. We need to be involved in that. The final picture of every tribe and every nation united in Jesus Christ around the throne of God. The sole and supreme authority is not, it's not disconnected from the snapshots we see from the beginning to end throughout the Bible. From every major biblical scene, we can see God, the creator of all people, being the missionary God. 
He is crossing boundaries. He is trying to reach the nations. He's laying the foundation. He's building the infrastructure. He's installing the utilities, all in a concerted effort to move towards his master blueprint of bringing people from every nation back to himself around his throne. You can see it in the story of Abraham. Through Abraham, God says he intends to bless all nations. Through Moses and the Israelite exodus, he says that through all these miracles, through all these plagues and things, that the nations around will know that he is God. And what he says, that his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. Through Solomon and the building of the temple, God desired and intended, he intended for the stranger and the alien to come and to learn of God. And later, we hear through the words of Jesus that he desired for his temple to be a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. When Israel kept the mystery of God bottled up for themselves in Jerusalem, around the temple, God sent them into exile to Babylon as punishment. But he also sent them as missionaries. We've talked about here before about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were like missionaries in the, in the Babylon Empire. And King Nebuchadnezzar, we have the story in God's Word, how he came to, came to belief in God, that he was converted. You can read about when a new empire came and overtook the Babylonian Empire, and it, and it was the Persians who then ruled. And Daniel and his friends were still there. And then through their influence, King Darius, king of the Persians, came to belief in God. The part of the master blueprint we're really most familiar with is when God himself takes on flesh and sending the Son because he loves the world. And after the resurrection, you see the Holy Spirit is sent to indwell believers. And one of the first acts of the Holy Spirit, it was on the day of a Jewish festival called Pentecost. On, the, on that first action of the Holy Spirit, what did the Holy Spirit do? Proclaim Jesus as Lord in the languages of all the surrounding nations so that men from other parts of the world could know salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, God, the maker of all mankind, the maker of all nations, the one whom all nations belong to, is making a way to bring all the nations back to himself. He's had that concern from the very beginning. From Abraham all the way to the picture in Revelation. You know, some people get stuck in asking why God chose Abraham and chose the Jewish people to reveal himself. I mean, why couldn't he just reveal himself to several different people groups spread out around the world and just reveal himself all at the same time and, and then, you know, the word could have gotten out more, a little faster, a little quicker. Could have got to all those remote places. That question is about 100 years late. Don't get stuck on the why. But ask, what did God choose the few to do? What did he choose the few to do? From the start, God chose a few to bless many. That's the way God decided to do it. Now, if you want to get in an argument with him about the way he's doing it and accomplishing it, you can. But I don't think you'll win an argument with God. Just giving you that hint. 
but you can be upset about it. But God chose a few to bless many. That was his purpose. He, he chose a few to bless the nations. Now, this is how God started. And here comes the exciting part. This is how God started. But this isn't how things are going to finish. You see, already in the last 100 years, an explosion of that blessing has come upon many nations. Today, the message of Christ, the good news, the blessing is being passed on no longer by just a few, but by many. See, it's exciting to look around the world today and see how close we're getting to God's final blueprint of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation around His throne. You see, since 1900 until now, there has been not much change in the number of Christians in the world. It's remained around 1.5 billion people. But in 1900, 80% of the Christians were white. They lived in the Northern Hemisphere and were of the Western world. Today, things have reversed. And now 80% of all believers are non-white. They're living in the Southern Hemisphere, meaning South, South America, Africa, Southeast Asia. And they're of non-Western culture. When we talk about joining God's mission and going and crossing barriers, it used to be from 1815 to 1915 that the majority of those going across those barriers, those missionaries, were North Americans and Western Europeans, mostly Americans and British. Today, the majority of missionaries that are going today and crossing the barriers, they're from India, they're from Korea, they're from the Philippines, they're from South American countries, and quickly joining the ranks are men and women from the African nations. Samuel Escobar, he's a Latin American theologian from Peru. He describes in one of his books how many of his Peruvian colleagues years ago had left to do missionary work in Spain. <coughs> and how today they're equipping people to go into Arabic countries as missionaries. And what they've been finding is that Hispanic and Spanish-speaking people have a historical connection with Arab peoples because of the Moors and their invasion and influence on Spain centuries ago. The Spanish-speaking people also seem to pick up the Arabic language quickly too. That is exciting because they're going places where Caucasians, mostly Americans and British, cannot go. So God says, okay, I'll get it done another way. We're going to pass the mission on. Let's send the South Americans. Christ followers who see themselves as missionaries are also being transplanted. There's a story uh, that Samuel Escobar shares about a Bolivian woman who moved to Hanover, Germany to find better work and help. Thank you. Appreciate it. She went to Hanover, Germany, found a job, began working there. But she let a Spanish man, also a man from a certain town in Spain who moved to Hanover, Germany to find a job, his name was Jose Gonzalez. She led him to Christ. Now, Jose leads a Spanish-speaking congregation right there in Hanover, Germany. Filipino women, Filipino women who have left the Philippines to earn money, send it back to their families. They're finding work in oil-rich Arab nations. Again, a place where many European or American missionaries could never go. And they're doing housework. And they're doing child care there. And what do they do while they work? They sing songs of praise to God. 
And when they gather the children around to tell stories, you know what kind of stories they're telling them as they sit there on their knees? They're telling them stories from the Bible. They're telling stories about God. There are Koreans doing medical work in Nigeria or planting churches in the Amazon. Japanese doing theological education in Indonesia. African refugees in the midst of their own poverty setting up churches within the sprawling refugee camps that they're living within. Today, God is taking His people from everywhere, from every nation, and sending them to everyone who needs to hear Mission is no longer one people group chosen by God going to all the other people groups of the world. Missions is now the people of God representing many nations going to the very ends of the earth. God, the maker of all nations, wants the nations back, reconciled to himself. That is exciting. You know, this is great news that today the message of Christ is being sent from everywhere to everyone around the world. It's not about transferring one culture to another. It's not about saying we, we think this way is better or right or whatever. It's about Jesus being Lord. He is King. He is Savior of all. It's about presenting Jesus as Lord. But there's still a challenge ahead, ahead of the church ahead of the the body of Christ around the world. Right now, there's about 1.5 billion Christians in the world. That means there's 4.5 billion who are not Christ followers. Part of the challenge is reaching these 4.5 billion. Half of the world's population now lives in cities. In 1900, 1900, there were only 20 cities with populations over a million people. In 1980, there were 235 cities with populations over 1 million. In Lima, Peru, they had a population of 350,000 in 1950. And today, there are 6.5 million people in Lima. In Mombasa, they had 350,000 people in 1985. And today, there are over 1.4 million. Within these large cities are isolated people groups that are not being reached No one, no one that we know of yet has reached the large Chinese population that is living in Monterey, Mexico. Yes, in Monterey, Mexico, there was a large Chinese population that moved there in the late 1800s to help with the building of the railroads. There are now second and third and fourth generation Chinese people that still retain their language and also speak Spanish, but live in Monterey, Mexico. Nobody has gone to them. No one has reached the Portuguese population in Toronto, Canada. Did you know that today in London and Paris that the number one religion is Islam? It's because our world is becoming more and more urbanized. People are moving and flocking to the cities. And our world cities are now changing. Again, in those cities, like Asheville, Jesus is just one among many gods. Our world is becoming more urbanized, and as it does, we need to follow those migration patterns. If we're to go with the message of Christ, we're going to need to go to the cities of our world. A second challenge is the growing youth population in our world. In 2015, just seven years away, the youth population in India will be 240 million. That's close to the size of the United States. Today, 
China's youth population already totals over 500 million. Somebody's got to reach the next generation. The third challenge is youth at risk and children at risk. In Africa, thousands of children have, have been and are being orphaned as their parents die of AIDS or in Civil War conflicts. Six, seven, and eight-year-old children are trying to raise their one- and two-year-old siblings. I can't imagine my little boy, Alec, trying to raise a little baby. But that's what's happening right now. Every day, there's over 35,000 children, just children, that die every day because of malnutrition, because of water-related diseases. The fourth challenge for the people of God is that our mission is going to be tied with nation building. We're going to have to simply help with the building of infrastructures so that people can simply have food and drinkable water. People around the world are starving or dying of water-related diseases, while here in America, our government pays farmers to stop growing crops because we have an overabundance and we can't sell it and we can't export it. They pay farmers to stop growing. In Finland, you can even be fined for overproducing too much on your farm. Isn't it crazy? Somehow, the church has got to help in this. We've got to figure out. Those are some of the challenges. But in the midst of those challenges, God is still setting people free. Reconciling mankind back to himself. And sending his people to the ends of the earth. God is working to accomplish this. His final blueprint of every tongue, every tribe, every nation gathered around the throne. So why should we go and join him in his mission? Why should we be a part of this crazy picture that God is trying to build? Well, because each of us here have experienced something, a part of that mission. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. It's what many of us have heard since we were infants in Christ and what every banner man at every televised sports event waves on a placard for all the world to see. John 3.16. It declares a simple motive of God. What's God's motive? Love. What should be our motive? Love. His love. In the second letter, to the Corinthians. In chapter 5, the Apostle Paul declares that God's purpose in making mankind was for heavenly dwelling with Him. Again, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal fellowship. They didn't need us. They're having a great time without us. But then they said, hey, how about we include mankind in this wonderful eternal fellowship that we have? And they opened it up and made a way for us through the cross. They wanted us to be with them forever. He goes on to describe the Lordship of Christ and everyone giving an account of his or her life to Christ. That there will be a judgment one day. And because of these things, Paul and other disciples did not look at their fellow man from a worldly point of view. And because of their awe fear of the Lord, they tried to persuade mankind to be reconciled with God. 
through Christ. Paul continues to say that it is not only this off-fear of the Lordship of Christ that inspires them to share this reconciliation message, but also that Christ's love compels them to let people know that Christ died for all, for all the world. And I'm not speaking about a universalism. Our compelling for sharing the gospel with the world should also be love and to seek the reconciliation of people from all tribes and nations with God. In this passage, Paul describes being reconciled by God through Christ. He also shares that the message of reconciliation has been passed on to us, to those of us who have been reconciled. The message has been committed to us, and therefore we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This brings us to another reason for mission, specifically related to us and our church and why we should join God in his great mission. And the reason is because it's been committed to us. Those who've been reconciled to God through Christ have been given the ministry of reconciliation and we have had committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have been made ambassadors. Ambassadors are representatives to another people of another place. And as ambassadors, they represent an authority higher than themselves. Ambassadors are servants who are sent. Ambassadors cross boundaries. In Jesus' parable of the great banquet that is like the kingdom of heaven, he says that the servants are told to go and to invite regardless whether people are good or bad. Right before sharing this parable, Jesus taught that in our own banquet throwing, our own party throwing, we shouldn't just invite our friends, our brothers, our relatives, or rich neighbors, but instead we should invite those that cannot repay us the favor. That we should invite the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind. You see, ambassadors leave the familiar. Sometimes the familiar are our friends our family, and our home. And ambassadors leave the unfamiliar for the sake of the one who sent them because his love compels them. Ambassadors go not in their own authority. Ambassadors are sent by the authority of another. As Christ followers, we have been sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Tell a whole other message about how Jesus was sent. I just want to stick with why just for this moment. But we're going, but we're, we are going because of our higher authority, Jesus. He has sent us. We've been invited to God's great mission to reconcile the world to Himself. By what authority, by what power do we have to go to other people, other tribes, or other nations? When people ask us, what right do you have to come over here to this nation and tell about your God? What right do we have? What authority do we have? We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go to the ends of the earth because, and because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, because the Father and Son have come to make their home within us, Christ will be with us to the very end of the age, just like He promised. And with the presence of the Son, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, we go. And we are sent. 
in his authority, not our own. In explaining why we go to the ends of the earth, our reason is the sim- in simplest terms is this. Jesus is Lord. It is our universal claim. He is Lord and maker of all the nations. And he is Lord over us. By what authority do we go, act, and speak? By what name do we spread the gospel? In the name of Jesus. Guys, this is exciting stuff that's going on around the world. Some of us may not be able to go different places around the world, but we might be able to help send people. I know that there are some young people here in this congregation who sense God's sending, God's pushing, God's call, some may call it or name it. And they sense God's call in their life to go someplace to another people group to help the nationals there establish their own churches to continue to reach their fellow countrymen and their fellow tribe members and the people that speak the same language and the same people groups. We get to play a part in that in helping send them. Our church right now is beginning to build relationships with... uh, a, na- a national missionary in India, national missionary in, um, in Africa and Ghana. We're building a relationship with um, some folks in Bolivia. We're beginning to build a relationship with uh, Vision Nicaragua, with others in our city that participate in that mission. And we're continuing to look for other partnerships that we can build long-term. That we will have a long-term relationship with a church or churches or a mission or a missionary. Be able to support them and help them. Send our people. Send our resources. If we have doctors who can go, we'll send them. If we have dentists, if we have construction workers, if we have people like me who have no special skills but just can be a mule and carry stuff, we'll go. And so... In the future, you're going to be seeing these opportunities. I want you to keep your ears open, your eyes open, and look for those opportunities, how you can be a part as we continue to pray about how we continue to be missionaries here in our own country and be missionaries here within our own city because we need to address this simultaneously. Just like Jesus told his followers in Acts 1.8, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. And I want you to go to the ends of the earth. So in the same way, we're going to follow that pattern. And do what the first Christ followers did. I know some of you would like to know more about this kind of thing. I want to encourage you uh, to read all you can about what's happening in our world. Uh, Sometimes we'll put out uh, these little flyers over here. Just says the church around the world. Just gives little reports of what's happening in countries, nations all, all around. It's so good to hear. So good to know that God is active everywhere. Uh, I also want to encourage you. I mentioned uh, Samuel Escobar, a Latin American theologian. I really encourage you. Some of you read uh, a lot of materials that are by Christian writers who are American or who are Caucasian. And it would be good that you read somebody who doesn't have an Americanized view of the church. And maybe read somebody who has a view of 
more of the worldwide church. Uh, that book is called The New Global Mission by Samuel Escobar. If you'd like to know more about that. Also, if you'd like to read more about mission, I encourage you to read uh, The Open Secret by Leslie Newbigin, who is a missionary uh, to India. He was a, a British man. Um, but, but when he came back home, he was shocked to see the change in his own country and how uh, in England uh, that really his home country had become a mission field. So I encourage you to read those. I know some of you guys like to read Brian McLaren. Uh, again, he's a, he's a white guy. He's Americanized Christianity. I encourage you to read a bigger perspective and a different perspective. And I encourage you most of all to read God's Word. Because when you read the story in Acts and read about the first Christians there, you'll see their heart for the world around them. And when you read God's Word, you'll also find out God's heart for the nations. And I pray that we will have a heart for them too. Right now, uh, I'd like us just to stand. We're going to pray and close our time together here. Heavenly Father, there's only a portion I can do here today, but God, the larger portion belongs to you and what your spirit can communicate and what you can remind and impress upon people's hearts and minds. And so, Father, I pray that the scriptures that were up on the screens, I pray that the scriptures that were spoken here today, that they would not go out void. And God, that your heart, your heart, you said that you love the world I pray, Lord, that we would have a love for our city, a love for our state and for our country, and a love for the world like you do. God, help us enlarge the capacity of our hearts so we may contain more of your love. And Father, I pray that we'll just be able to wrap our head around your final blueprint all people gathered around the throne worshiping you the Lord of all the maker of all nations the Lord of all nations and God we worship you and we say that you are Jesus you are Lord and it's in your name we pray amen